Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Get your Bibles out. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 21. So good to have you here today. And uh, thank you, Dwayne, for just getting us up to speed on the different activities that are coming. This is the Easter weekend. And so we want to encourage you. Easter is one of our highlight services, and it's a tremendous opportunity to invite your family, your friends, coworkers, and your neighbors to come and introduce them to the powerful message of Jesus Christ. And it's one of the easiest invitation weekends that we ever have. And so just a reminder that sometimes we're a little hesitant, but people are very open, and we're finding that people really do want to engage in spiritual conversations. So one of the easiest things you can do is just invite your friends to come with you. And uh, next Sunday, we are going to have a great time, and we're in a series, and so I'm going to introduce it today and set it up for where we're going over the next couple of services that we have together. But we're talking about Redemption Road, and we're going to be looking at how does the story of the Scripture relate to our lives, and especially today, the road to Jerusalem. So I want you to take your apps and get your notes and get out your Bibles, because we're going to have a look at what Palm Sunday means. Now, how many of you can remember you're around the church? Some of you, you're new to faith, and that's fantastic. We love that. Welcome to the journey. How many of you can remember getting palm branches when you went to church in Sunday school? Oh, yeah. Did you remember what they were for? They were for like beating the kid next to you in Sunday school, weren't they? Did you ever wonder why they handed those out? I remember wondering, why are we, they don't grow here. Why are we giving this out? This is from a boy on the prairies. They're handing me a palm branch. And I'm thinking, what do palm branches have to do with our story? And why are they giving us a weapon so that we can hit other kids in the church with? But the palm branch, part of the story that fits into the gospel of Jesus is actually quite powerful when you look at it in the broader context. And it's always a challenge to stand before you year after year after year and look at a perspective of the scripture and particularly the Easter narrative and help you understand why is this story so important to me? Because we know that scripture is God's truth, right? And all scripture is inspired, it's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in Crickets, crickets, righteousness. Thank you. There you go. Training in righteousness. So scripture is powerful. The Bible reminds us that it's for our benefit. So when I was approaching the text with our communicators and we were looking at this and we were talking about Palm Sunday, we can easily, and you probably passed churches today. I did on the way in and I saw the big sign up. It's Palm Sunday and people are preparing and some are in the middle of Lent and all the different preparations that go with the Easter. But I got thinking how Palm Sunday is often pushed over to the side and becomes like a margin note, something that is there because we anticipate what's coming. We know about the betrayal. We know about the rest. We know about the interrogation, the crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. And we look at the events that are going to transpire surrounding the Passover in Jerusalem. And yet here we have this story with the waving of the palm branches, and it's almost like a side note. And so we looked at this, and I wanted to bring it maybe a little bit of a different perspective today. Because here's what I've discovered. No matter who you are, 
What Jesus does in this moment as he enters into Jerusalem has profound importance to your life, both for who you are and how you're going to live your life. And that's what I want us to extract together. The road to Jerusalem has more significance to you than you maybe realize. My goal is to help you understand and appreciate it. So get your notes, get your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 21, and allow me to read the story. And as I read, listen carefully to what transpires. So the Bible says this, that as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter's eye, and see your king comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went, and they did as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt, and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them out on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and they asked this question, Who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now there is so much that's taking place in the story. So again, real quickly, if you're new to the story, you're new to the Bible, I want to remind you of the context. We're moving into the Passover events. And for the Jewish people, something was transpiring on this day because people go, well, why is there already a crowd out there? And why are they cutting down palm branches? And why are people already shouting? Well, this is the preparation for the Passover, and this was the day on which the high priest would leave Jerusalem, go out of the city, select the lamb that would be sacrificed at Passover. So he had gone out of the city, and the crowds of people would be waiting for the high priest to come back, because if you were Jewish and part of the Jewish culture at the time, this was the annual atonement for your sin. This was the time when the sacrifice would take place, when you would be worshiping God, and everybody knew that the lamb that takes away their sin was going to be offered in Jerusalem. So the high priest would go out, select the lamb, he'd be coming back in, and we know historians tell us, and Josephus reminds us that people would cut down palm branches, and as the high priest is coming back into the city with the selected lamb, they'd begin to wave their palm branches, and they'd be cheering and shouting. There'd be great jubilation because they knew that they were about to go before the presence of God. And when the high priest would bring the lamb in, the lamb would be inspected for four days, no spot, no blemish, no fault, and then would be sacrificed for the Passover. Interesting, on the day that the high priest would enter into the city, that Jesus would enter the city on the very same day. And he'd come in through the eastern gates on the same day that the crowds of people would be out there. So they would have palm branches available in their hands. And when they see Jesus, two things begin to take place, and the gospel writers record it for us. And most of us, being that we're not Jewish, can't appreciate what's taking place in the moment. But do you remember the words of John the Baptist when the disciples came to him asking about Jesus? And John said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of a sudden, there's a little connection that we have because we have all of the history recorded for us. And they understood something, that the lamb that was going to be slain was pivotal 
to their salvation and their experience of forgiveness in the presence and the eyes of God. And Jesus is doing something that is setting up the prophetic declaration that we would have for us, that as he enters into the city of Jerusalem, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world was about to fulfill the mission for which he came. Isn't that powerful? And so the celebration that takes place, now in the middle of all of this, here's what I want to point out. There's a little bit of misguided and misinterpretation that takes place. How does this affect us? What does this change for us? Get your notes out. I want to share three things about hope today. When you read this story, not only is it a beautiful portrayal of what Jesus is going to do for us, but it reminds us of the potential and the power of hope. Number one, every heart has a longing for hope. Every heart. Every person listening to my voice, every person seated in this room, you have a longing for hope that is seated within you. And often what we do is when we look at other people, here's what I notice. We tend to see the things that we don't have in common. We look at people, we look at cultures, and we look at nationalities, and we tend to identify the things that we don't share in common. But here's what I want to point out for you today. Hope is the one thing we all share in common. Hope for a better future, hope for a better marriage, hope for a better job, hope for new beginnings, hope that I'm going to achieve the goals that I've set out in my life, hope that I'm going to experience forgiveness for the mistakes that I've made in life, hope that my life can be changed from where it is. How many of you have hope? Anybody? Okay, we're good today. We're people that have hope. If you live in Ontario, you're still hoping summer's coming because you heard the weather forecast this week. See, hope is real for us, isn't it? And hope is part of what we have. Every human heart has the same seed of hope, but we often don't identify it. And hope is what binds us together and unites us in a common desire to see something miraculous take place in our lives. And sometimes hope emerges in the most challenging of circumstances. If you ask Thomas Newman, he would tell you this. Some of you may know his name. He lives in Toronto. Thomas Newman immigrated to Canada in 1948. When he landed in Canada, he did not have a penny to his name. He arrived in Toronto, and he set out to start a career, and he became an accountant. He built his firm up, five partners, 40 employees. He's got five grandchildren, two daughters, and married to his wife, Grace. He is living the dream, and he's still working today. The story that we often don't hear about Thomas Newman is this, that at the age of 14, Thomas Newman and his entire family was taken by the the Nazis to Auschwitz, and he was uh, imprisoned in the camp. When they arrived in the camp, his grandparents, his parents, his six siblings, and himself were sent in three different directions. And in that camp, they were separated with no awareness of what was happening to each other. As the Allies were beginning to press in towards Auschwitz, the Germans moved them, the Nazis moved them over to Buchenwald. And he said, and I lost track of everyone. And when he got to Buchenwald, he managed to survive. And when he was liberated by the Allies, he recovered at the hospital. He went back to his village where he said, I waited to learn the fate of my family, as most of us did. And no one came home. Thomas discovered that he was the only one who would survive that horrific ordeal. And he made a decision that he was going to come to Canada and he was going to start his life. But you know what's powerful in his story is this, and it was recorded just last year as he was honored. He said, what kept me going was the seed of hope that there could be something better, 
that there is a better future. In the midst of the most devastating circumstances, hope can propel us to believe that life can be better, that God does have a better plan. Friends, I've never experienced the horrific nature of what Thomas did, but here's what I know, that Jesus came so that the seed of hope that you have in your heart could be fulfilled and that the better future that you want is there. So for some of us, when we think about our marriage and we think about our life and we think about our failures and we go, why do I keep tripping and can it ever get better? I want to remind you that the the Palm Sunday story that we have here reminds all of us that hope is possible. Whether you're a pessimist or an optimist, whether you're a skeptic or you're a believer, the hope for world peace, the hope for personal peace, the hope for your family, maybe for some of us it's just family peace, that hope is what we share in common. And when you look at the story in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus stepped into a world that was desperately in need of hope, didn't he? He stepped into a place where the Roman occupation and the burden on the people, Jesus said the people were weary, overburdened, they were tired. Everything in parallel to their life that we sometimes experience in our life. So Jesus steps into a world where people are desperately searching for hope. And what does he do? He brings hope. Matthew chapter 21, verse 5. I want you to look in your notes. Scripture, verse that we read. It says this. It's a prophetic declaration about Jesus. Say to daughter Zion, see that your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So what's happening here? In the moment, you have to remember all that's transpiring. So the, the, the narrative, the gospel narrative is this. That Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, and the Bible says this, that people spot him, they recognize him, and they immediately begin to race towards him, and they take the branches, and they're laying their coats down, and they're doing the red carpet treatment. It's like going to the Academy Awards. So they're laying their coats on the ground, and they're waving palm branches, and they're shouting, Hosanna in the highest. Why were they doing this? It's important to remember what has transpired just weeks before this. How many of you remember when Jesus was far away from Jerusalem and Lazarus was sick to the point of death? Remember that story? And when Lazarus was sick to the point of death and they sent word to Jesus, Jesus, you need to come because our brother is sick and we need you to come and heal him. And they knew that Jesus had power and that he was definitely a prophet. Yet Jesus delayed his return. And he waits until Lazarus dies. And when he finally comes, Lazarus had been dead for four days. He was beyond the point of any hope. He was beyond the point of resurrection, according to Jewish rabbinical teaching. Three days, maybe four days, no way. So Jesus intentionally waits to the fourth day because what he's about to do is he is going to demonstrate that the power that he has, only the Messiah could have that power. So up until this point, and we've learned this over the course of the last few years in the church, there had been messianic miracles that Jesus had fulfilled. Do you remember all four? I'm not going to quiz you. It's okay. You just got that scared look on your face like, oh, I hope I can remember. No, you don't need to. There are four messianic miracles, and Jesus had been fulfilling each of those messianic miracles in his pathway. And when he comes to the resurrection of the dead, this was the fourth and last messianic miracle that everybody had anticipated the true Messiah would fulfill. He would raise a person from the dead. And when Jesus called Lazarus out... You remember the context, and we don't have time to read it today. I'd encourage you to go read the story. People were shocked 
The word spread throughout the entire region. Even the Pharisees were so upset they wanted to shut him down. They were going to do anything within their power because they said all of the nation is beginning to turn to Jesus. And Jesus had to withdraw from the region because of the opposition that he was experiencing. But the people never forgot. So you read on Palm Sunday, Jesus is starting to enter Jerusalem. You go, why the fanfare? Why the publicity? Because all of a sudden people look up on the hill and they go, hey, I recognize that guy. And those of you that have traveled with us to Jerusalem, you should recognize the text. When they were on the Mount of Olives, that's that beautiful panoramic shot of the city of Jerusalem, the golden dome of the rock. And you're standing there and you look at this and you realize Jesus is coming down over this mountain, making his way towards the eastern gate. And somebody spots him up on that mountaintop and all of a sudden the crowds turn. The lamb that the priest has selected, but Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and people begin to race towards him. And they're stripping their coats off and they're laying them down on the road. Can you imagine what that'd be like? Just imagine going through Streetsville and you're ripping off your outer coat and you're laying it on the ground. We should do that for the pastor of the church, shouldn't we? A little resistance in the crowd today. But this is what they began to do because they knew something. Hope had been stirred inside of their hearts and Jesus checked off every box for the messianic miracles. And so now they see him entering into Jerusalem in the middle of Roman occupation, in the middle of all of the desolate conditions they're experiencing. Something in the human heart aches and longs for hope. We all have it. You have it. You maybe haven't told anybody what the dream is, what the hope is, but you have it. And right now, this morning, as you're sitting in this room, I want you to know something. God gave you the gift of hope. And God will fulfill the gift of hope within you. And whatever it is you're holding on to, I want you to recognize, in the same manner that Jesus comes to offer that hope to us, He will fulfill the hope that's within us. So we see these people racing towards Him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Every human heart has this. Number two, I want you to catch this. And I want you to see what takes place. We tend to manipulate hope to fit our perspective. I looked at the story, and I realized that what was taking place here is when people raced out towards Jesus, there was a little bit of a twist that happened here. And what Jesus came to do, and what people wanted him to do, were slightly askew. They weren't quite lined up. And so I I use the word manipulate because we tend to take something that we want and we use it for our perspective, maybe not for its intended purpose. Are you following me so far? Let me make it a little clearer. Have you ever gone to hang a picture and you have the nail, but the hammer is not close by, but you have a pair of pliers? You following me? What do you do? You use the pliers. Are pliers intended to drive a nail into the wall? This is not a hard science, people. No. But we do this, don't we? Because we're too lazy to put the picture down and go get the hammer. So what we do is we grab the pliers, and then when we hit the nail with the pliers, and we realize it's not designed to do that, and it hits our fingers, and we hurt ourselves, what do we do? We yell at the pliers. We blame the pliers because they hurt us. And what we did is we manipulated the intent of the tool rather than using it for its intended purpose. You go, Doug, what are you talking about here? We'll go back to what's taking place on on Palm Sunday. 
When Jesus begins to enter into Jerusalem, people look and they see him on the Mount of Olives and they just stir this hope inside of them and they race up that hill and begin to go, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna to God in the highest. This is fantastic news. Jesus is coming in and they begin to lay everything down on the road and fanfare so much so that everybody in the city, and the Bible says this, that the city was stirred up, so the entire city recognized something was going on and they're asking a question, well, well, who is this? Now look at Matthew 21, verse 9. I read this and I quoted it, but it says, The crowds went ahead of him to those that followed, and they shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. And I want to catch these words. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna, if you're taking notes, talk about it in your small group. Hosanna literally means save now. Save now. So they see Jesus, and then they go, Blessed is he, and they call Hosanna to the Son of David. Of David. So there's a connection that's taking place. And they see Jesus coming into the city, but yet there's a little bit of an incongruency in the story. I want you to notice this. If your Bibles are still open, in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 21, we read these words that the king is coming to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. I think we have a picture for us today that we can have a look at here. And so when the people were seeing Jesus come in, there's a, anybody, you know what the donkey looks like? Not me in the front here, on the screen. Look at the screen. All right. We see the donkey, we see the horse. What's the incongruency? People were looking for the horse, not for the donkey. People were looking for the warrior, not for the humble shepherd. When they were shouting, Hosanna, save now, They knew Rome had a stranglehold around their neck. They knew they were oppressed. So what they saw in Jesus, if you can perform four messianic miracles and you're on your way into Jerusalem, then save us now. And they weren't looking for the manner in which Jesus was coming. They could see him on a horse, but they couldn't see him on the donkey. Friends, so often we move Jesus into where we want him to fit the picture in our story rather than allowing him to come into our lives in the way that he wants to present himself. We have agendas in which we try to make Jesus fit our story. And it was no different here. If you read the story, it's easy to overlook it, but they wanted a king without a savior. They already had a sheep down at the temple. They were ready for the Passover. They were looking for a king, but we can't have a savior unless we set the king aside. It starts with the savior. And this wasn't the first time that Jesus entered or encountered manipulation in his ministry. People often tried to frame Jesus in the context of their personal desire rather than in the presentation of the salvation that he offered to them. Think about the feeding of the 5,000 back in John chapter 6, the story when Jesus saw the crowds of people, had compassion on them, and said, hey, let's feed them. And his disciples said, how are we going to do that? And he said, you figure it out. And so they got the loaves and the fishes, and they prayed about it, and they fed everybody, and everybody was good. Following that episode, there's an interesting little story, because we love the miracle, But following that episode, when Jesus withdrew from that area, the Bible says that the crowds of people went looking for him, and they followed him all the way over to Capernaum. And when they got there, and they got to Capernaum, they asked him a question, and the crowds that he had fed said this to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So Jesus had withdrawn, and they chased after him. And look at John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus answered, it's there in your notes today. 
He said, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Whoa, this is, this is really, really important. We often look to Jesus to fulfill our perceived needs rather than to meet our greatest need. Jesus knew that our greatest need was the restoration of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. See, friends, that's what's so powerful about Palm Sunday, is when Jesus is coming down into Jerusalem, his face was set towards Jerusalem. He was on mission. He knew that he was going to lay his life down. He knew the manner in which salvation would only come to this world. And John was right. He was the Lamb of God. He'd take away the sin of the world. But people wanted to bypass the cross and elevate him to the status of the King. But I am so thankful that Jesus would not allow people to manipulate and move his agenda. He stayed to the mission that God had. And it made me think, what do I do in my life that manipulates Jesus to fit my agenda? Do you do that? What are the things that we do? Do we sometimes maybe read scriptures and adapt them so that they fit us? Because I look at some of the theological positions and I look at some of the biblical teachings and I realize that so often what we do is we want to read into scripture rather than have scripture read into us. And when we try to read into Scripture, what we're really doing is manipulating the beauty of the gospel of Christ. And what we do allow is for the Scripture to read into our hearts and bring change to us. And I find it even interesting that after the resurrection of Jesus, people still didn't fully grasp his mission. Because when Jesus had been raised from the dead just prior to his ascension, he gathers with his disciples. And some of you, you're going to remember the words that they said to him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom. They missed it. So, Lord, are, are, are you going to restore Israel back to its place of power, the way that it was supposed to be? These are the ones that had followed him for almost two and a half, three years. And they're going, so, Lord, now that this is all done and we're all good, now that you're raised and we know you're alive and, and we're feeling good about it, are you going to restore Israel back to its place of prominence? And Jesus had to remind him, it's not for me, nor is it for you to know the day or the time or the hour. That's for the Father in heaven. And he gives him right back to the mission that we're called to. Friends, the mission of Jesus can be so easily manipulated. And when I read Palm Sunday and what was taking place here, I can't help but wonder, had we been in the crowd, had I been in the crowd, would I have been able to understand what was taking place? Because hope is such a powerful motivator in our lives. But hope can also manipulate and move us to do things that take Jesus off the mission that he came to do, even in our personal lives. And number three, I want you to catch this out of the story today, that the expression of true hope will often surprise you. The expression of true hope will often surprise you. i got a question for you. Are, Are you easily surprised? Are you a person that's easily surprised? Now, not scared or startled. Some of you are immediately thinking, you know when somebody goes down the street and they hide around the corner on you or they hide in a darkened doorway somewhere and they jump out and they go, surprise! And you have a heart attack and they have to get the defibrillators out and get you back up again? Okay, that's not surprise. That's just scared. Stop that. I'm talking about surprise. Genuine surprise where you had no idea that that was going to take place. My wife complains. She goes, you're a hard person to buy gifts for or to plan events for. I have a hard time surprising you because I'm always thinking through what is she up to, what's coming next. I didn't say that in a bad way. And they all looked at you right in that moment, Laura. So Laura often says to me, she says, it's so hard to surprise you. So when I started looking at 
the story of Palm Sunday, I got thinking here. I wonder if the way in which hope appeared came as a surprise to the people that were there. When I read the story, what strikes me is the element of surprise that's embedded within it, and we can easily bypass it. Look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 10 and 11. It said that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and they asked, who is this? And listen to the reply. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Does anything stick out about those, that last sentence? Nazareth. Do you remember the commentary that came out through the life of Jesus? Can anything good... Yeah. Can anything good come from Nazareth? See, there's no words wasted in the Bible. There's no words wasted in the Gospels. And all the Gospel accounts record what takes place here because they want us to understand something. God will surprise you in the way that hope is brought to you. We try to twist it to make it fit our agenda, and yet God knows what we need, and He brings it to us in the right time and the right way so that it meets the right need. And here they are in Jerusalem, in the entire city, and this is where kings and queens had graced the streets. Dignitaries and foreign powers had moved through the streets, and yet the entire city is alive with the conversation, who is this man? And they go, didn't you know this is the prophet from Nazareth? And those words right there just make us ask the question, People were already wondering, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And we see what Matthew records for us, and we begins to understand that there's this complexity to the story. Matthew chapter 13, 15, 55, it says, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this Mary's, uh, isn't his mother Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? You see, it's so easy to overlook who Jesus is that we miss the element of surprise in the story. They could have easily missed what Christ was there for. He broke free of convention. He broke free of all the constraints that humanity attempts to put on him. And Jesus comes in the Palm Sunday narrative in a way that is absolutely surprising. Now, of all the four gospel accounts, and all four accounts record this, there's one story that's picked up, and we know it. Most of you know the story because you can quote the verse It's the shortest verse in the Bible. And then there's another one that deals with it. And I want to read it for you so you can see what takes place as he enters Jerusalem. If you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 19 and go down to verse 37. And watch carefully as Luke records the exact same story. So Luke says that when Jesus was on his way in, he said, when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all right, you with me? So Jesus is now descending down the Mount of Olives. All of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles that they had seen. So the lens is focused in on the crowd. Luke is telling us of all the activity that is taking place and how people are now beginning to to bombard Jesus and shout and to glorify his name and thank God for what takes place. But here's what I want you to notice. If you could take the lens of the camera and let's zoom in a little bit closer and zoom in on the face of Jesus because that's what Luke does. And if you zoom right in on the face of Jesus, you'll see a tear roll down his cheek. And Luke's about to tell us something. The disciples were probably looking at Jesus and thinking, those are tears of joy. Those have to be tears of joy. He's probably overwhelmed because all the crowds have come out to meet him, and they're accepting him, and finally, and they're thinking the same thing, finally, everything that we gave up to follow this man is coming into place. 
The city is welcoming us. They're laying their coats out before us because remember, it hadn't always been this good. So everything they wondered about is maybe coming to culmination in this moment that this is the man they chose to follow. And their moment of greatest glory is going to be when they enter into Jerusalem and Jesus is going to rise in prominence and they're going to be the ones surrounding Jesus and all that they sacrificed to follow Jesus is about to pay off. And I kind of think maybe Peter nudged John and said, hand him a tissue so he can dry his tear. We're headed into Jerusalem. But watch what Luke says. Go down to verse 41. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side, and they will crush you into the ground and your children with you. And your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. What a sobering moment in such a jubilant celebration. See, we wave the palm branches and we celebrate the coming of Jesus into Jerusalem, but Luke captures a moment for us that brings this sobering reality back, that Jesus already knew that people were looking for a form of hope that he wasn't bringing in the moment. And while they were shouting, Hosanna, save now, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Jesus could see past that first day down into the interrogation, into the betrayal, and he knew they wouldn't understand. And the element and the way in which hope comes to us will often surprise us. And the beauty of this story is that God gives his grace to us so that we can experience the forgiveness of our sins, that we can overcome our failures, that what Jesus did was greater than just in the moment because often we want Jesus to rise to power in the moment, but his plan was that he would forgive sins so that we would have a future and an eternity that could no longer be under the power of the enemy. And Jesus was coming to offer his life, to be the wounded savior, not to be the conquering hero. And those tears that he wept over Jerusalem that day is because people missed the very nature of why he came. Well, what do we do with all of this? Because you look at the story and you realize we're really no different today, are we? We have hope within us because we all dream about the things that we want to be better in our lives. So whether it is our jobs, our marriages, our families, our careers, our future, whatever that dream about that we have is, we have hope in our lives. We know that we need salvation. We know that we failed. We know that we need forgiveness. But I want to remind us again on this Palm Sunday that when Jesus brings us his gift of hope, he brings it in a way that there's no conditions attached and he won't allow it to be manipulated. That salvation is found in one name and one name alone and it comes through the name of Jesus. And friends, the beautiful part of the story is that even when we can't see the purpose of the mission... Jesus never turned aside from fulfilling what he came to do. He came to bring you hope, and he came to bring me hope. And the way that he does it is he starts by bringing us relationship with our Heavenly Father. And as he entered into Jerusalem, did he stop the accolades? No. Did he redirect? No. But he never turned his face away from what the Father called him to do. And the beauty of that for me today is because of what Jesus did, We have the gift of salvation, and we have hope restored, and that's worth holding on to. Amen? 
Thanks for watching today. Be sure to check out our other messages on this page, and you can also watch us live online every Sunday morning at 10:10 a.m. Don't forget, share your story or send us a prayer request by emailing info@porticocanada.ca. You can also stay connected by liking our Facebook page or following us on Twitter at PorticoCC.